Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is somehow the month of May, and our pick this month is Idra Novi's third novel, Take What You Need. The story opens with Leah, who has just learned that her estranged stepmother, Jean, died falling off a ladder while making a giant metal sculpture. The book alternates points of view between Leah in the novel's present day and Jean before she died. It is full of really interesting themes around chosen family and messy relationships and creativity and the changing American cultural landscape. I think that is enough to say for now, since, of course, this is a spoiler free conversation. Idra, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. It's pretty short, but it's so rich. There's so much to unpack about it. Oh, thank you. I think though it is 250 pages, I wrote over a thousand pages. Oh, my God. Did you really? Yes. (laughs) I wonder if that speaks to how beautifully distilled it ends up feeling because you really like you did exactly what it needs to do, I think. Thank you. You know, I read, I I really wanted this novel because it is, as you said, about sort of these divides in the country that I didn't want to editorialize. You know, when I looked at authors like Claire Keegan, who I think Hmm. writes about divides in Ireland. And, you know, I don't know if you've read Foster or small things like these, but her books sort of just pull you into the scene and let the dialogue and the place sort of convey these sort of larger tensions. Hmm. And it's so clean, you know? And so I just looked for books like that, so that I like, you know, so I could make it as, you know, as, as as concise as possible and let the reader just inhabit the world without telling the reader, you know, who to identify with and how. Right, right. It's really cool. I would love to start by talking about Jean because she is, of course, our older artist. She's Leah's former stepmother. I loved her and I also found her really frustrating. And I have a feeling you did that on purpose. <laughs> yes, I wanted her to be confounding because mm. I don't know, I'm confounding. Most people I find fascinating are, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's a way that, you know, she's really sharp and really smart and is sometimes like inclined to self-sabotage and also is inclined yeah. to um, taking risks that are actually living her best life and she can do both every day you know yeah yeah I think that contradiction is really fascinating she's got so many pointy edges but you can tell she's really built that up over time because she's actually she's trying to protect like a very tender core you know yes yes and I think to continue making art and to continue finding joy in making art you get kind of pointy you know (laughs) yeah You get kind of, you have some sharp edges there because it's, it's, you know, to keep doing it and on your own terms, which she does, you know, she's torching sculptures in her living room. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah, she's making these gigantic metal sculptures. She calls them manglements. They sit in her living room. 
I love that she's a welder because it's something that you don't see a lot of women doing kind of ever. And I would love to hear why have her do something that is like such a such a physical and kind of hard edged also medium as opposed to, you know, she could have been a potter or a poet. So my family has a scrapyard. I, I I don't have anything to do with it, but my namesake Ida Novi started a scrapyard in 1906. So I have always had an interest in scrap metal, and because you know I didn't inherit it, it was patrilineal. It went through like the men in my family over the last century. Mm-hmm. I wanted my my legacy to be chosen, and that I wanted to make art out of the scrap that like you know my name is Idra Novi. Her name is Ida Novi, so I'm the only one in the family named for her. And so mm-hmm. I've always wanted to learn how to weld. And so oh, wow. to write this book, I welded with um a f- incredible female um metal artist in New York, Julia Marie. And I also welded with um at the Center for Metal Arts, which is like a in rural Pennsylvania near where I grew up. And then I welded with an also good artist, uh Norm Ed, who I wrote about for Orion magazine. And each of them had a very, very different approach to welding a box. And I found that really fascinating. And so I wanted Jean in the novel to just be thinking about these six sides. And yet, actually, the way all of us go about either putting ourselves or other people into boxes, there are infinite ways to go about doing that. I love that so much. I think the symbolism of it is fascinating, even especially with the idea of like all of these different people who are very good at what they do and have really honed a craft And this is something you talked about at a panel that I actually got to watch just online through the Center for Fiction with Brandon Taylor and Siri Hustved also. And you talked about how like you told each of them that the other people were doing it differently and they were like, oh, that's so fascinating. How do they do it? And I think that curiosity about it, too, is such a beautiful extra layer to it. Yes, yes. And they were open to it because I think there's a way that the box do you start with the sides? Do you start with the bottom? I think it's, you know, do you change it or do you just have one way of, you know, putting putting your boxes together of your days or your books or your or your friendships? Like, I just think that, you know, we you have to add sides to things. It's just sort of the nature of building. So I think for me, that was really interesting. As you said, like their curiosity and mine too, because um, this was the first novel where I actually the novel became a reason to seek out doing this thing that I had always wanted to do. Oh, cool. I loved how I got to know the physicality that Jean experiences, you know, like I I felt the ache in my shoulder. I saw, you know, how Mm. this young um, sculptor, Dan Neville, how he could pick up, um, you know, the heavy pieces of scrap metal easier than I could, you know, and, and we just have a different build. And so I think some of what figuring out the novel was that I had actually done many of the things that happened in the scenes. Oh, that's really cool. So one of the themes that I found really interesting is does kind of circle around the idea of art, especially art that no one sees. Yes. And and I think, again, there's like a contradictory sense about that where like it could I think it is both maybe the height of foolishness and also like the apex of expression. You know what I mean? Beautifully said. I love that. Thank you, Greta. It is both at once. And I think this novel for me in many ways was about that, about dissonance, you know, that I inhabit Mm. these very polarized places. I live, you know, in New York where everyone's, you know, aware of audience. And then I go back and I was, you know, making, you know, metal sculptures with Normed where there is, you know, a lot of indifference for art and, 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 you know, in the Allegheny Highlands where he lives and and where, you know, I go back and see my family and visit him in his studio. And, Hmm. you know, he lives in auto repair store and he keeps his sculptures 
in, you know, up in this sort of like second floor area. And he just makes the art that makes sense to him. And it's very pure. And there's nothing pure about making art in Brooklyn. Or if it is, you really have to, you have to keep the boxes up around you. Um, I just, you know, I was just thinking a lot about integrity and motivation and trying to figure that out. You know, I think it's, it's not a fixed thing for any person, whether how you read, how you write, how you make art. And so I think this novel is a lot about asking those questions too. Yeah. So how do you think about that in terms of your own writing? I mean, I think it's always really fascinating to ask someone who has dedicated their life to a craft about the extent to which they would still be happy doing it if they never had sort of that last stage of putting it out in the world and seeing how people respond to it. I think this book for me, I felt a great sense of urgency to understand these two very polarized places where my life takes place and where people I love mm. live. And they're so strange from each other. And early on, I was read this statistic that one in four people in this country is estranged from a close relative. Wow. And yet- I, it, I, it's so high. And, and, you know, people make jokes, you know, we hear it on NPR all the time. Oh, you're going to go to Thanksgiving or Christmas and sit next right. to that relative. But beyond those, like, you know, quick jokes, I just feel like we, I haven't seen any art about the psychic toll of those estrangements and the disappointment mm. in that, that inner experience, that turmoil of having loved someone deeply and having reached an impasse in the relationship over cultural divides. And so for me, this novel, I wrote much of it in the pandemic, although it is not a pandemic novel, it is about isolation mm -hmm. and what kind of art you make when you don't anticipate judgment of other people. But I think that was helpful to me because I was asking these questions that I felt like nobody was talking about. So I that for me was like a real driving question in this book. And I just tried to stay true to that question and not think about audience too much. Mm, that's so cool. So how often, so you were born in Western Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Yes. How often do you go back? It sounds like fairly regularly. Well, in the pandemic, we went back mm. a lot because I was living in a um, rental apartment with one bathroom, four people and a barking dog. <laughs> so we had to go back, you know, and my kids mm. rigged up a zip line and, and, my, and my my parents backyard and, you know, my my stepmom has a big garden. And, and so it was like, a you know, although I never you know, I spent a lot of time there and I spent a lot of time visiting Normed in his studio to just, you know, and so we talked a lot about the benefits and drawbacks of making art in a place where you have a as much space as you need and as much yeah. sort of freedom as you have. But then, and then, you know, in terms of audience or in terms of conversation, you know, you don't have that. And at one time he said to me, he was like, I don't need to talk to Richard Sarah, you know, talking about another mm. fellow sculptor. He's like, I'd rather talk to my neighbor. Interesting. And it was interesting. And that's just like another way of being an artist in the world, which I, I deeply respect. And this novel was about that because Jean in this novel does actually prefer to talk to her neighbor. Yeah. Well, I think too, there's, you know, there's like the, there's the level of estrangement that you're talking about. There's also, you, you can very much argue like a neglect that's happening in a lot of these places that this book is about. And, you know, like an active disinvestment. I think also, you know, you talk about like the perspective of living in Brooklyn. I think so many of us, especially, you know, like the well-educated sort of like quote unquote coastal elites or whatever, even in a benign sense, like often just kind of overlook these people in parts of the country that you're looking at in this book and that you're kind of shining a light on and paying attention to. 
Well, I just think of my own brother, who's a, you know, a waiter in my hometown that lives on a street very much like jeans, like around my brother and his girlfriend's house, everything is boarded over. And, you know, he has a beard and probably if you see him from afar, you might think he is like Elliot in the book, but he really likes foraging for mushrooms and making soup and reading. And, you know, he is like none of the things one would assume about like a young rural you know, white guy, he's, he's just really just loves walking in the forest and looking for, you know, turkey tail mushrooms. So, you know, and he would love serving his soup to anyone who will eat it. I mean, he's just, he's just like has a gentle nature and, yeah. um, you know, and a lot of his friends do too. And a lot of the people I'm in touch with there, you know, and, and Normed, the artist that I, I wrote about, you know, he's Syrian American and in and, 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 and many ways is not who we assume is making art in Appalachia either. So I I think this book for me was a lot about subverting those stereotypes. And, you know, for Jean, the artist I invented in the novel, I think it is especially hard for women artists to get traction in places that are, have like sort of expected women to sort of take a subordinate role in so many ways forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how does she take herself seriously as an artist and how does she forge a place, you know, for her art in her own mind. And so I think when she has, you know, she finds copies of uh, Louise Bourgeois books at the local flea market. She yes. finds books by Agnes Martin. And I love the serendipity of finding Ugh. books like that, that you, when you even, you, sorry to interrupt, but you use yeah. that phrase with her. I think it's actually Leah who uses it saying that Jean always loved fi- like reading with serendipity. And it's a phrase when I first read it, I wrote it down because I just loved it so much. I love that idea. It's delightful. Oh, thank you. Well, I try to read the serendipity. I try and read one book from the curb, you know, like every so often, <laughs> hopefully one that doesn't even have a cover on it, you know, <laughs> and if you don't finish it, it's okay. You can put it back on the curb for somebody else, but just to yeah. just welcome some voice into your life that you didn't seek out in the way that you can deliberately because somebody wrote about it online or somewhere to just like, be open to serendipity because I find sometimes those are the books that, you know, you really think about a lot. Yes, totally. Okay. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt I, and get us off track. I would love to talk a little more about Louise Bourgeois because honestly, she's someone I didn't know that much about. And she seems just so provocative, especially for Jean, but even just in general. Yes. Louise Bourgeois is such a fascinating artist. And I have heard from a number of readers who said that they discovered her through this novel. Mm. And that made me so happy to hear that this novel can sort of bring, um, you know, new visibility and, and new appreciation to Louise Bourgeois, because like Jean in this book, she really didn't get traction till later in life after she mm. had, you know, raised her sons. And, um, I think that with Louise Bourgeois, you know, she did all this art after menopause that is like all about hanging giant cocks from the (laughs) ceiling. And she never tired of like playing around with phallic libidinal images in her art. And I think that we often assume that women after a certain age don't have a sex drive. It's not true. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, I think, you know, to your point too, about like women being sort of like confined to certain spaces. I think that idea of especially a postmenopausal artist, especially in rural America is just like extra interesting. Extra indeed. And I also think that there is this way that, um, you know, I think we think of, you know, certain male artists, you know, having female um, models and that their mm-hmm. libido is so present. But we don't really right. talk about the libido as much for women artists. And of course, it's there. More of my conversation with Idra Novi after a quick break. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So with Gene, I think it's especially interesting to think about the idea of freedom because both of the things that can be true that she's, you know, pretty uninhibited. She gets to express herself creatively, but she's also doing so in the house she grew up in. And, you know, her dad wasn't the kindest human. She's both free and trapped, I think. Yes. And I think that that tension, which can't be resolved, is true for for any decision, you know, that you make in your life, which is that it, you know, may grant you certain freedoms and trap you in other ways. And Mm. any choice, I think, comes with a mix of both. And, you know, um, you know, I feel like I am in some ways kind of a monstrous hybrid, um, which, you know, is like the sort of (laughs) scrapyard term for having a mix of sort of synthetic and organic parts, you know, like I'm sort of like one of those tin cans that like has that like synthetic lid, you know, that like you can't get off, but also has like this limit because I'm just like a mix of like rural and urban parts because I love living in a city and I love the freedoms here. But then after a certain period of time, I just want to go and be in a forest and see nobody. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that tension probably is that what keeps me writing because I have these sort of you know, irreconcilable parts, which we all do, you know, the mm-hmm. things that we associate with freedom and the things things that we associate with feeling confined, Just, you know, any, any place you choose to live will, will deliver both. Yeah. So I keep talking about Jean. She's super brash. She's out there in a lot of different ways, even though she's also stuck in this place. Her, she, her contrast to Leah is fascinating because I think especially at the point in time where we meet Leah, she's filled with unease. I mean, I think about, you know, opening in the book, she's there to figure out what to do with Jean's stuff. She's literally lost. She hasn't been back in a really long time. I I don't even know what the question is. I just thought it was a really interesting contradiction, I guess. Yes. I, yeah. I think that the reason why I wanted those two points of view in this novel, not just because, you know, Leah is a different generation, mm-hmm. but, you know, she's bringing a perspective of living in, in Long Island City. And then Jean has this perspective of having lived her whole life in the Allegheny Highlands. And they have different blind spots. And Mm. I think this book for me, the driving question was what blind spots does Jean have and who does she sort of grant mercy to living where she lives? And she can Mm. grant mercy to Elliot because he doesn't have access to water. His family keeps moving. He doesn't have access to education. And he also lives right next to her. And then you have Leah who lives in Long Island city and she doesn't really have any mercy for Elliot at all because she sort of associates him with certain media assumptions and she kind of dehumanizes him. And at the same time, Jean living where she lives is kind of inclined to sort of dehumanize Leah in some ways too, because I think there is some resentments for the way that she feels like her life in rural America has gone unseen. And she has some anger about that, that she unloads on to Leah. And there they are with these very different blind spots. And sort of puts them at this place where they can't see each other. 
Yeah, it's really tragic. Also, I think because you can tell that they're each telling themselves stories that are actually untrue about the other one. Yes. That is pretty heartbreaking when you think about the way they're, you know, and you know this from the very beginning that their relationship really disintegrated. Yes. And I think it can happen that, you know, you can do this in a marriage, you can do this with any person that is, you know, is is an important figure that you make a case against them in your mind. And if you don't, you know, voice that case against them, you can almost be like a lawyer and you're building a case against them in your mind. And the case you make in your mind against them may have very little to do with that person. (laughs) And then you don't even have to talk to that person to sort of have the verdict on that person. Yeah. And the relationship's gone. It's fascinating because I really, I found especially their relationship to be really interesting and messy and complicated. And I really enjoyed reading about their dynamic. I think I read less into what I sort of thought of as like the backdrop of, you know, sort of like the urban rural divide or, you know, fill in the blank really of how you want to characterize that. But I thought it was really interesting because I found that most reviews really did focus on that as sort of like capturing the moment. And I was curious, it sounds like that was sort of maybe the origin point for you too, when you were conceiving this novel. Yeah, I think I try not to have a fixed sense of, you know, what I Mm -hmm. hope. Here's the capital M moral of this story. (laughs) No, I hope a book can operate on lots of many different levels. And I try to have this for me, and I hope it's true for readers too, which is that whatever was the reason I started a novel, I want to finish it for another reason. And I hope that when readers start the novel for one reason, maybe it's because the review was about how it's sort of talking about, you know, our divides in this country. But by the time they finish the novel, maybe the takeaway is, wow, I can't wait to read more about Louise Bourgeois or Agnes Martin or thinking about stepmothers or thinking about fairy tales or thinking about rural artists. Like, I, I hope that you can always, I think a good book, you have to start it for one reason and love it for another. Mm, that's so beautiful. <laughs> you just blew my mind. I love that so much. Oh, thank you. I, I I hope that's true because I think for I want to be surprised by the book. Yeah. And I think if the writer isn't surprised, then the reader won't be. And I was very much surprised how this novel went. Idra, thank you so much for coming on. This was fascinating. I could talk to you all day. This is a fantastic interview. I'm so grateful to you. Oh, thank you. All right, that's it for our conversation with Idra Novi. I can't wait for you to read Take What You Need. And of course, I would love to know what you think. You can send us a little voice memo by recording yourself on your phone. And then you email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, also coming up this Friday is a summer books roundup with three of my favorite readers ever. I'm going to talk to Lupita Aquino, Liberty Hardy, and Tracy Thomas all in one place about their favorite books for this summer. So be sure to check that out. Also, it'll be out on Friday. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletters and our executive producer is Brendan Banasak. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.